0: way you treat your body is the way you treat your brain so you talk about cognitive abilities and the functioning everything you do on a daily basis to your body everything you ingest the exercise you either get or you don't get the sleep you get or you don't get that all affects your brain
1: that's former nfl pro bowl center nick hardwick discussing the impact your cognitive and physical well-being has on your ability to perform in the clutch In this episode, you'll learn the ways you can work towards your success or against it by how you take care of yourself, both mentally and physically. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin.
2: And this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you And your prospects.
1: Dan, this topic of health is a big topic. Why should this be important to our audience?
2: Our listeners tend to be very competitive. Our listeners are definitely go getters, but they're individuals who want to go hard and they want to accomplish things and they're very driven. And anytime you're driven or you want to accomplish things, you have to learn to make sacrifices in life. But you don't want those sacrifices to come back later and hits you hard from a health standpoint.
1: With that context in mind, let's jump into the conversation with Dan and Nick.
2: Playing in the NFL for 11 years, was there any focus on the mental side, like deliberate focus? Not
0: enough. No. I always felt like that's where we lack. That's why in the offseason, I put a lot of effort and attention into that, how to build relationships better, how to be a better leader. You know, there's every single off season, it was one of those things. And it kind of goes back to my college years As my head coach. When I went into his office in the off season, he goes, tell me one thing tangible that you're going to work on and one intangible that you're going to work on. So it'd be like, Hey, I'm going to work on my single leg deadlifts. You know, I'm going to work on, I got to get my upper body stronger. My back's a little bit weak. That's my tangible, or I got to work on my hand placement or my foot placement or whatever it is. And then I have to work on something else too. I have to be a better listener, a better leader, a better communicator.
2: Tell us a little bit about food, sleep, and what you learned over the years about the importance of, of those things I think we take for granted, but are powerful intangibles. Oh, just so
0: widely important. I mean, everything that you put into your body and everything you do allows you to have success or to not have success. You're either working for yourself and for your success, or you're working against it. And it's with the sleep, with the food, with the nutrition. And, you know, it's funny because I'm really healthy and very fit now, but in the NFL, there was this, you're kind of at a weird spot, especially being an offensive lineman. Like I knew what I was supposed to be doing to be healthy, but you can't be healthy and be 295 pounds. And it's not incredibly healthy to be squatting 600 pounds or benching 450 pounds. It's cool to be able to do that, but to carry 18 to 20% body fat, not healthy. And so the way I ate in the National Football League and the way I eat and sleep now are two completely different things. I do wish looking back, I would have maybe started a bit younger in my weight gain journey, but I had no idea that I was going to be a football player. But now it's funny because I do more for myself now physically than I did while I was playing. And and part of that is because I know the damage that I've done to my body. And I know 30,000 head hits, which I've taken a toll on my body and the arthritis and You know, people talk about CTE. For me, I just look at CTE like I know how my knees feel. I know how my hips feel. I know how my spine and my neck feel. Well, my brain kind of did the same thing. So CTE is like, I guess I would classify it as kind of brain arthritis. It's like how my joints feel is probably how my brain feels. But I can mitigate all of that damage by eating a really clean diet, by exercising six out of seven days a week, and by getting really good sleep. And that's the only way that I'm giving myself a chance to have a really prolonged, healthy life. So, you know, as we're talking about the opponents on the upcoming schedule, it's like Vince Wilfork, Albert Hainsworth, Richard Seymour, these monsters of men. Well, my monsters of men are arthritis and neurocognitive decline. And I'm not willing to accept that I'm going to lose to either of those. So I'm going to continue to do everything I have to today to ensure that down the line I've got a positive health outcome not only for me but for my kids and for my wife and for all of my friends and everyone around me. So those are the, that's the preparation and that's why, you know, all that health stuff is so serious for me.
2: You and I have talked about the importance of cognitive thinking to perform mentally or physically. When you were in football, right, you had to prep with some sleep and some diet or some combination of things so that you could cognitively truly think at your maximum in your prep and when you're on the field. I'm curious for your response to this. What percentage was physical? What percentage was cognitive as you prep for a game?
0: Most of it was cognitive, Most of it was the preparation for the game and visualization. And yes, we'd have to go through and do the practice and get our bodies back up to speed and repair it enough that you felt like you could go full go on Sunday. But most of it was the preparation that you did in the classroom and being able to transfer that from the game plan to the film study, to the walkthroughs, to the practice, which were physical in nature. There was no getting around it as an offensive lineman. You're having contact on every single play. And practices were physical by nature. But I thought a lot of the preparation was in spite of what we had to do physically. You had to be mentally ready to go on Sunday. And you had hoped that your body would repair enough to be in a good place on
2: Sunday. Even if it wasn't, you still had to go out and do the job. We talk a lot. Hear about the prep and the sleep and the food because we're a big believer in high performance. You know, we listen so much better as human beings when we are fully recovered, when we're when we're cognitively very clear. You know, there's no brain fog, there's no hangover, there's no lack of sleep. We're so much better in meetings. We're so much better in anything that we do. And you last longer not only do you last
0: longer on the day and being able to hold your attention longer, but you last longer through your career. And that's one thing that the guys now in the game have such an advantage for long careers is the understanding physically of how they can make their bodies last better. And starting at a very early age of body maintenance protocols and sleep protocols, but that's it. It's you get More longevity out of your day and out of your career if you've done that preparation. And it is preparation. Like everything you're doing is preparing for some sort of opportunity that's up and coming. Right. So I I feel like every choice that I make today at some point is going to transpire down the line. And so when I'm choosing, to stay up late or to have too much alcohol or to put drugs in my body. It's like, I know that at some point that's going to catch up to me down the line.
2: I look back on the Dan from we'll say 20 years ago and there will be days that I'd have three prospect meetings in a day and I'd be pumped because that'd be a great day. But when I look back on, is there a chance I drank the night before? Yeah. Is there a chance I, probably didn't eat healthy the night before. Yeah. Is there a chance maybe I only got about five hours of sleep the night before? Yeah. I now think back and go, okay, how cognitively prepared was I to be at my my best 20 years ago when I would do that to my body over and over and over? And then there comes a point when, and I think
0: everybody eventually gets to this place. It's like, my body doesn't feel the same. My brain's not operating the same as it used to. I better do something about it. And I think instead of allowing ourselves to get to that place, just understand that it's coming. And if you do something now, you can prolong that feeling. You can make that not until you're 60 or 70 or 80 years old to go, I'm slowing down a little bit, but you don't have to slow down. If you do the things right today, if you're preparing today for the upcoming opponent in the upcoming game.
2: You know, in sales, right? There's no physicality to it. Well, there shouldn't be at least. But the mental side is so enormous because you put so much pressure on yourself. I want to get this win. I'd like to add these guys to my pipeline. Wow. What a great brand this would be if we can call them a client and then, you know, That'd be great for my bonus. I'd make X amount more money. All right. My boss would get off my back. I mean, the level and degree of pressure that sometimes sales professionals can put on themselves is extensive for our listeners. I want them to take away here eating and sleeping right and managing caffeine and managing alcohol and exercising and whether it's yoga or meditation, it's real. Oh, yes. It is is very real that drives your cognitive ability to truly think clearly and listen clearly and respond and ask questions appropriately and at such a sharper level when you're in front of a prospect. And to be calm. When things hit the fan, right?
0: When the blitz comes from the opponent, having a good night's sleep and having a clear brain and having not an upset stomach when they're giving you an answer and you can't physically hear or you didn't get a good night's sleep. And I think about this with my kids all the time. And for whatever reason, I don't get a good night's sleep. How short is my bandwidth with them and being able to be calm and being able to understand what they're going through and really listening to them rather than giving them how I feel. It's the same thing. It's like listening and being able to process that information, then asking a meaningful question in return, That all comes back to how you've physically treated yourself
2: up to that moment. 100%. Football is obviously a competitive sport at its highest level in terms of man-to-man combat, we'll call it. So number one individual in terms of you knew prepping for that game that it was going to test you to the ultimate when, when you when you had to compete with that individual, who would that be? Easy, Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour. Yeah. And
0: I tell you why it got this way. It was after the 2007 AFC Championship game. We ended up losing in New England 21-12. to 12. And I got asked some comments about the game afterwards in our own locker room. And I called out Richard Seymour. And sure enough, he gets traded. And I'm in San Diego. And he gets traded in our division to the Oakland Raiders. And so I've got to see Richard now twice a year, and he knows exactly what I said about him. And when he was with the Patriots, he was playing out over the left tackle. When he was playing with the Raiders, he was playing over me in the left guard. And he was one of the biggest human beings, one of the strongest human beings. He had incredibly long arms. He was very intelligent. He had great technique. He had learned in the Patriot way, so he knew how we were planning to attack him. He knew the plays before they were coming, but he was also just as mean as they come. And so he was kind of the perfect defensive tackle, but I had also poked the bear, as we like to say. Don't When you got a big monster coming in, hey, don't poke the bear. Don't get him too riled up. Well, Richard came riled up, and he knew that I had talked trash about him. And so every single game for about four years, I think I got them eight more times after that 2007 championship game. It was a war. And I tell you, it it got the most out of you, and it was a lot of fun.
2: And when it was over, your adrenaline must have been skyrocketing.
0: Oh, it was the best.
2: Just the best. Give the listeners an example of um, just a, um, an individual maybe could be the other team, could be your team, could be um, on the defense, whatever, other team's offense, but one of those performances that you knew this individual gutted it out and gave every single bit that they had on the field to the point where you were like, A, I can't believe he's getting back up, or B, I can't believe he's got more in a tank. Where's he getting, I mean, can you give us a, yeah. maybe one that comes yes. to mind?
0: One of the most heroic ones that I've seen was Phillip Rivers. He tore his ACL and his meniscus playing in Indianapolis that same 2007 season against the Indianapolis Colts on the, on the sideline trying to get out of bounds. And it was in the division game leading up to the championship game. And Billy Volek ended up finishing that game off. Colts fans will remember this really well. We ended up winning, going to the championship game the next week, and Phillip had surgery the very next day to clean his meniscus up in his right knee, I believe it was. And he had a torn ACL in there, but the meniscus was locking his knee. So he couldn't play with a locked knee. So they cut the meniscus out and he was in the training room all week long. And he just kept saying, I'm going to play this weekend. I'm playing and nobody doubted him. He didn't tell anybody in the locker room that he had torn his ACL. We just thought he, had his meniscus cleaned out okay phil will be back i'll be there don't you guys worry friday comes a practice he's walking through five days after knee surgery with a torn acl and sure enough he plays in the championship game nobody ever knew that he was in pain and he played with a brace on his knee got us through the championship game probably wasn't at his best but like a great competitor he said i never know when i'm going to get this opportunity again so i'll I'm not gonna miss it because I've worked my whole life for this. And so he gutted through that. Very I mean, unbelievable toughness and will.
2: You and I have talked about the Julian Edelman guys out there, yes. the West Welkers. Oh, jeez. Where they get those hits and you like, just stay down. Don't get up. <laughs> they keep getting up, they, don't get they, up they keep getting up. And then they run it again. And we talked about you going to
0: sales meetings after a a bunch of drinks and a terrible night of sleep and staying out too late and probably a little bit of a lack of preparation. What you can get away with when you're younger, you're not getting away with as you get older. Everything you do and everything you put in your body catches up to you. Alcohol, I I very, very rarely touch alcohol because all the damage that I've done to myself, I feel even just the slightest amount. That little micro inflammation that creeps in, my joints hurt, my back hurts, my brain's not working clearly. And I I know how it feels to feel really good. So why would I choose to feel any other way? And the way you treat your body is the way you treat your brain. So you talk about cognitive abilities and the functioning. Everything you do on a daily basis to your body, everything you ingest, the exercise you either get or you don't get, the sleep you get or you don't get, that all affects your brain. And most of the doctors won't even make the distinction between the brain and the body. They're the same thing. The way you're treating one is the way you're treating the other
2: well the, the the hard part is I think you said this the coaches back then weren't really keen or they didn't understand the mindset as much as they do now, and even now most of them don't understand I it think as it much. was
0: simpler it was less scientific
2: yeah now. There's a lot of science behind it because people realize how important mindset is. It's such a huge part of performance in anything. Football,
0: sales, all competitive endeavors for me, like I was more than competing against the individual, I was competing against myself. And the guy that I was blocking was just the vessel for me to get more out of myself and to challenge myself one more time. And it is really a hard concept When you think about going into a meeting and you realize they probably got three other meetings and I'm competing against those people, but you're not. It's just you and taming your own beast and being able to show up in there and being able to be aware and listen and ask great questions. And it's me being able to understand my opponent and figure out his weaknesses on the fly and having confidence in my own ability if I get in a tight jam to be able to scramble and get out of that position because I've survived plenty of times before and I'm gonna survive again.
1: To tie the entire conversation together, we've also asked Erica Ballard, a high-performance health coach, to share additional insights into how your health impacts your ability to perform at an elite level. And here's Erica and Dan.
2: Our audience is high potentials, high achievers, overachievers, and one of the things That I know they do is they push themselves so hard in business. And, you know, they push themselves to get up early in the morning, get their workouts in. They push themselves to, you know, work eight, 10, 12 hours, sometimes more. They push themselves to get to airports and back. It's a constant, constant push. My observation is they don't spend as much time focusing on their health, on their food intake and their sleep. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
3: Oh, I sure can, Dan, because I see the same thing and it drives me nuts. And it drives me nuts because your foundation actually matters. And we know this for two reasons. One, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, at the bottom is um, psychological and at the top is self-actualization, which I feel is like living your full potential. And when Maslow wrote that, in psychological was food. And we know that he didn't write it during the time of macaroni and cheese, right, when Kraft was all around. So we know that real food is actually key to you reaching your full potential. And I hear from high performers, overachievers all the time, well, girl, listen, I can get a lot done. And what I tell people is, but you're only in second gear. You think you're in fifth, but we know from this science that there's no way you're actually where you need to be. And then from the second piece where it gets a lot more sciency, right, is your brain and gut are connected. So if your gut's off and if fuel you're putting into your gut, the food, the information you're putting into the body is off, your brain will be off. And so it drives me literally bonkers when people put their health last because your body is absolutely incredible and it will keep up for a while, but then it will break down. And that's why so many of these overachievers, they hit like 30, 35, maybe they even get to 40 if they have a good workout regimen. And then they gain all this weight, they get really tired, and they're so confused. And it's like your, your body broke down on you because you weren't putting in the right information, you weren't putting in the right food, and you can completely avoid it by taking 30 minutes, maybe an hour max out of your day, which really isn't that much time. And anytime an overachiever tells me it is too much time, I'm like, you can figure it out because if you can do that much, you can figure out how to find 30 more minutes.
2: And what, and what are they supposed to do? I mean, I know not one size fits all, but, you know, give us an example. What are they supposed to do in that 30 minutes?
3: So where I would start is with food. So either it's learning about food if you're completely, if you have no idea. If you do know about it, it's going to the grocery store and buying high quality protein, high quality fats and vegetables. I feel like vegetables is very straightforward. We know what those are. And so try to eat as many of those as possible with the exception of potentially potatoes. For a high-quality protein, finding ways to buy it and to eat that. So pasture-raised pigs, free-range chicken, grass-fed beef, things of that nature. And then high-quality fats, that's your coconut oils, your avocado oils, your olive oils, things of that nature. So spending that half hour really figuring out how do you make food or how do you buy food? That will fuel you, because when you think about weight loss, when you think about energy, when you think about health, eighty percent of it is usually food, twenty percent is movement
2: so I'm putting myself in my audiences the listener's shoes. Why would I care about this? you know i'm I'm making good money in airports i'm I'm going to nice dinners when I'm out in different cities, staying at nice hotels, you know I'm feeling really good about myself. Why would I really care about this?
3: So you make a really good point. You said, I'm making good money. And when you're healthy, you can make better money. And that for me, if that's what drives you, and I think that that's great, you could make more money being healthier. Because we see studies all the time that come out that say if you're three times more productive, like if you're healthier, you're three times more productive. And that means that you can take that half hour because you're going to be three times more productive and so that for me is biggest reason why just you know thinking about who you, who your audience is and these overachievers but the other piece of it too is I believe in quality of life and so I think that if you feel better you just do better in all areas I mean that's why if you eat like crap you feel like crap if you but if you eat really good you're gonna feel really good and you can show up not only better in business but in your personal life too which these people have occasionally, right?
2: <laughs> I think about the example I've seen so many people go through this where they work really so hard and they're lean and mean and they're hustling. And then finally, after a period of a couple years, they start to get successful and they start to taste success. And obviously with success comes money and with money comes freedom, flexibility, and opportunity. So sometimes that freedom, flexibility, and opportunity equates to nice big fancy steak dinners and restaurants with wine over the weekend it can stay with you for quite some time it just depends on how well you take care of yourself outside of that binge
3: exactly and that's why for me and the clients that i work with we have this 85/15 model so 85% of the time you're eating the best you can and that means for the most part real or minimal real food so minimally processed food or food that's grown from the ground or has a mother and then 15% of the time You're drinking wine and you're eating cake and you're doing these different things because you're going to go to parties. You're going to do these different things. But that model gives you the flexibility you need to be able to do those things and bounce back on Monday or by Monday, depending on when you have it.
2: So let's take another another step here. You know, cognitive thought in business is obviously really important. I, I equate it to it at simplest terms. It's your ability to truly listen to what somebody's saying and ask really good questions and take that conversation to a whole new level. To me, that's cognitive thought at its finest. And obviously, there's the creative side to it, too. What's the impact on food and the types of food that we take in on our ability to stay sharp and clear throughout the day and out the week?
3: So, I believe. That food is critical to maximize your cognitive thinking and brain power. Because, like I said earlier, is your brain and gut are connected, and it's not some cute term. Like, literally, 80% of the nerves in your gut feed up to your brain, and the same neurotransmitters that sit in your brain sit in your gut. And 90% of your immunity, 70% of your serotonin, All of this stuff is sitting in your gut. And do you know where you digest your food? In your gut. So what you put in there directly impacts the way that you think, the way that you remember things, the way that you focus, the energy that your brain has, because it's a muscle too, all of that is directly impacted by what it is that you put in your system. And The one other thing I'll just add is I think often about food being frequency. And so if you want to hear messages, be it your own or someone else's, you have to be a clear channel. And the best way to do that is through the food that you eat.
2: So on that same note, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about sleep and the effects that can have on cognitive high performance? Again, once again, it's not about just being average. It's not about just making it through the day. It's not about that. It's about how do our listeners get the most out of their 8 to 5, 8 to 6, 7 to 6? How how do they get the most out of that day? How do they prep themselves with sleep?
3: I heard a really good joke by Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor. She's a neuroscientist out of Harvard, I believe, and she said I hate when people talk about how little sleep they got. Oh, I got five hours. Oh, I got four hours. Every single time someone says that, I think to myself, you'd be so much more interesting if you got seven, right? And it's, that's how I feel about sleep. And when I look at health, I often look at it through an a evolutionary or a biological lens. And so sleeping seven to nine hours, which is how much your body really does need, Back in the day when saber-toothed tigers and bears were around, that actually puts you at a disadvantage, right? It was, if you fall asleep in the wrong spot, you could easily die. And yet your body requires seven to nine hours of sleep a night. So that means that that has to be worth so much more than a lot of the other things that are at your disposal. So I know that that function is absolutely necessary for you to be at your best, not only from an evolutionary lens like that, just I feel like it's common sense, but also when you think about your body detoxifying, repairing, moving, uh, healing, that doesn't happen when you're awake for the most part because you have to do everything else, right? Your mind has to be working. Your body has to be alert to the 11 million bits of information it's picking up per second. It's needing to pay attention to what you're saying and what's happening to the right of me just in case and eating food and all of these things are happening when you're awake. But when you're asleep, your body can take care of all that stuff. So that to me is why it matters. Plus, there are studies that are coming out, and I don't know if you've read these, where that your brain can't fully clean itself unless you're asleep. And so studies are starting to show that your brain shrinks to like 60% of its size and cleans out the toxins that are there. And so if you get less than 7% of sleep, your brain literally holds on to the toxins because it doesn't have a way out. So this idea of these high performers who are like gonna get six hours of sleep, just gonna drink Red Bulls, I'm like, frankly, that's stupid. Like it's like, it's not a smart move. And sure, there are a handful of people who can do four hours asleep and train themselves. But like I think about Jeff Bezos, who like sleeps in and putters, like goes to they all these people that go to bed early, they go to bed by nine, they wake up at five, and then they spend the first two hours of their day like puttering around or doing these morning routines. And it's because how you sleep and how you set up the day really do matter.
2: So when you were talking, the word I kept thinking about was stress. As anybody wants to achieve at a higher level and then continue to push themselves. There is stress equated to that, and it does impact our bodies and our minds. So, are there ways that you can help that person counter stress with a sleep regimen and a diet regimen that maybe fits that individual better?
3: Yes, the answer is yes. And the one thing I want to say before diving into it is our bodies are built for acute stress. They are built for it and they thrive on acute stress, that variability. I think where high performers, overachievers, like those starting out in their career get in trouble is they don't have acute stress. They have chronic and they don't realize it until they break. And I speak that from personal experience. I broke. I broke multiple times and I just kept pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off until I was like crying over eggs one morning, not understanding what was happening. So I didn't have to get there. And part of the way is not to get there to your point is one food, eating really healthy food will counteract a lot of the stress that your body naturally picks up on. We get about 11 million bits of information put into our system at any given second, but we can only cognitively pay attention to 40 um, or so. And When you're eating well, your body can see what's happening and not see it as a threat because your stuff is functioning appropriately. So, making sure you eat those vegetables, those high quality protein, high quality fat, that'll help. Lack of sleep is a stressor. So, if you're already stressed and then you compound it with a lack of sleep, you're only going to get worse. You're only going to become more stressed. And so, focusing on sleep and food really will, for most people, get rid of a lot, at least half of the amount of stress that is produced in their body. Because we have to remember too, that just waking up in the morning and living in America or any Western civilization is going to cause stress because of the environmental toxins and uh, things in the air and, and stuff like that. So those are really helpful. But I do think that it's really important to for people to have mindfulness practices in their life to reduce their stress, because whether people want to admit it or not, most of the time they're causing their own stress by their own thoughts. Because real stress is financial burden, car accidents, death of loved ones. But most of what we get stressed about is that like, Karen's acting a fool over there, and my boss said this, and my client is acting like this, and it's like, that's not stuff that should take you that high in stress.:
2: In a conversation I had with Nick Hardwick, Pro Bowl NFL player, he talked about the prep and the importance of food from a physical standpoint. And I know we've covered a lot so far, but I still feel maybe the listeners might not be connecting. The importance of food from a cognitive mental standpoint. You know, it's easy to see that an NFL football player might need to take in like nine, 10,000 calories a day if they play on the offensive line. Okay. Food is a source of energy and power in that point. But again, we're talking about sales professionals and sales leaders and business leaders. Is there any advice you can give them regarding the importance of just better managing their food intake?
3: The one thing that comes up as you're talking is making sure that you get enough calories in your system. So, I actually see this a lot with high, like fast moving professionals, is they forget to eat. Like they're too busy, they're too busy, they're too busy. And then they either put in really bad calories or they don't put in anything at all. And our bodies require fuel to be at their best. And so, when you don't I mean, quality fuel aside, if you don't put in enough calories to turn on all of the functioning things in your system, you're not going to be able to function. And a lot of time we run around in this fight or flight state or just running around without putting this food in our body. And because of that, our body can never get in a place to thrive because we're so busy trying to survive because we don't have enough calories, because we have bad food, because we're stressed out. And it's like when you're in that state, you can never get to a point of thriving. And so from a calorie standpoint, I recommend man or woman get at least 2,000 calories in their body. And the other thing that I think is important is unless you're trying to bulk up, eating Three, two to three meals a day, not five or six times a day, because a lot of people that I talk to, like yes, they want to optimize their energy, but they also want to drop weight, and your body' needs your insulin to go down at some point throughout the day to not only burn fat but to learn how to burn fat as fuel so Making sure you get those calories and making sure that you eat only two to three times a day versus the five to six meals gives your body time to repair and learn the things that it needs to learn in order for it to be at its best.
2: I want to throw a couple thoughts at you that I've heard over the years and that I know that we practice here uh, at Lapa 180, and I don't know if we should be practicing them. So we do fasting. That's one of the things that we do. I mean, it can be a 12-hour up to an 18-hour. And can you share some thoughts on that uh, regarding fasting and, A, if, if it's a positive activity and what's the usual impact of that kind of decision?
3: Fasting, in my opinion, is one of the best things you can do for your body. And I firmly believe everyone should fast for a minimum of 12 hours every single day. So, from dinner to breakfast, there should be a 12 hour break because it takes food about 12 hours to leave your system. And once it leaves your system, you get those, your body doesn't shut down after food's out. It's like, oh my gosh, what else can I do? And then it goes and tries to fix different things that are broken or not working. And so that's one reason it's so wonderful. The other reason I think it's so wonderful is because back to that metabolically flexible comment. So, Over the weekend, and this is particularly for people who are healthy, the beautiful thing is that with that metabolic flexibility, if you're able to fast after a bender, you're able to remind your body that it's going to use fat as fuel. And if weekends aside, just fasting in general teaches your body to use fat as fuel because our goal in order to be at our best is that your body is trained to use food or your own body fat energy. And so that's what fasting really does. So I love it. And from a weight loss standpoint, the ability for it to bring down your insulin levels, I mean, nothing beats it. Nothing beats bringing down your insulin resistance or rather making you more insulin sensitive than fasting. So a 12, 13, 14, 15, up to 18 is great. 24 hours is wonderful. And if you want to get crazy, go three days. I think that if you're going to fast, never stop at two days because the second day is the worst. But doing three days every quarter, I think is a wonderful thing if it's something that you want to do.
2: Is that like a a way to work out certain parts of your body? Is that what fasting does? It it gets your body to react differently because it's in a different state. And so then you're working out different muscles, different nerves, just different things. Is that part of it?
3: Yeah. You're training your body to use different components, different energy, different mechanisms and hormones in your body. And when it learns that, the reason it's so great, right? We talked about this a little bit earlier, is that variety, that, that acute stress That's really beautiful is what fasting can induce. And on top of that, you know, it increases your uh, HGH naturally, it builds muscle, it helps with anti aging, right? It does all of these wonderful things and it's free. And it's, and you can do it like, and you can do it whenever it's that variety, it's that change in dynamic that really helps your body thrive.
2: And I think that's what this is a lot about. It's about thriving and giving ourselves a chance to really see how far we can take things, but still maintain healthy balance. That's what it's all about. Let's talk about the, the elephant in the room. All this is change of habit, change of self-expectations. How do you help people through that? I mean, I know, and as our listeners are listening, there is probably many of them who have probably thought back on some of the things that we've talked about and said, yeah, that was me, or I've been there, and, or I'm doing that right now, or whatever it might be. But the reality is it's still change, and it's self-discipline, and all of that. So how do you help people through all that?
3: It's through mindset. So I lure people in with food, a thousand, I'll call that, I lure them in with food because there is a lot to be learned. There is a lot of unlearning and relearning. But the majority of the work to keep it sustainable is mindset. It's changing your identity. I just was talking with someone recently and they said, I identify as a fat person. I identify as a big guy. And my job, I believe as a health coach, and I believe anyone who wants to be successful in health needs to to help people identify or help themselves identify as a healthy person. So, it's changing the constructs in their brain of who they are and how they think about food. Because I know this was a conversation about food and health and and sleep and stress, but the reality is the reason we have such a hard time bridging the gap between what to do and doing it is because we have a self identity issue. We have stories we tell ourselves, we have lies that we believe about ourselves. But the beautiful thing is your brain is extremely malleable and you can change those stories or you can get to a point where you can see them, catch them, and release them as quickly as they come in.
2: As you know, we teach mindset and um, what we do here. And so I think a lot of our audience is really familiar with that thought process. But my gut is that you are talking about something specific in mindset where you're Talking about how you view yourself, can you can you share a story or an example of something like that?
3: One, I have to say, this is why I love I love talking to salespeople because I had to get good at sales too, and I I kept being like, "Oh, I'm so bad at sales." I'm so no, I just had the wrong mindset. Like the tools are simple. It's really feeling confident enough and seeing myself as a salesperson who serves that allowed me to like do this, which tells me that anyone can get healthy too, because. Your issues in food show up in a- other areas of your life. And if you've tackled it in one place, you can take that data and tackle it in another. And so with that, I had a client and she she would always say, I don't have time to be healthy. I don't have time to get healthy. And she was an entrepreneur. So she was in charge of her schedule. And so she kept saying it and I was like, this doesn't make sense. And it was, a—I mean, it was a lot more questions and prompts and things than than what I'm going to share, but essentially like, you know, we really started to dig into like, what is the root of it? And what she realized is the reason that she didn't have time to get healthy is because her mom would work her butt off and she would only rest when she was exhausted. She would only take time for herself if she was beat. And anyone who took time for themselves, unless they were absolutely exhausted, was considered lazy. So anytime this woman would try to take time for herself because health is very much yourself, she would equate that with being lazy and no one wants to feel lazy. So every single time she tried, a story would replay that would say, this is you being lazy. And so our work was one, identifying where that story even came from. And then after that, reprogramming the thought patterns that taking care of yourself makes you more productive. Taking care of yourself makes you a better leader. Taking care of yourself enables you to live a better life. And and that's the work that I'm talking about is we don't really know why we have these stories unless we make space to figure it out. Because most of the stuff that prohibits us or inhibits us from living out healthy behaviors are irrational truths or stories or beliefs that we have ingrained in our head from when we were younger.
2: I think a lot of people can identify with that. Just looking at it is I don't have the time and then feeling like they're being lazy or distracted if they start worrying or thinking too much about what their food intake is. Because there's a lot of other things they have to get to during the day. And so they deprioritize the food and the health And they prioritize maybe the immediate gratification uh, gratification or gains they get from the rest of the achievement that they might experience during the day. A couple questions here to wrap up. Three things regarding sleep that the listeners can maybe consider or try.
3: So the first would be to get in bed 15 minutes earlier than you normally do. So the goal for like your circadian rhythm, so your natural sleep pattern, is you want to be asleep by 10. Otherwise, you get that second wind. Now, if you're up till midnight, which a lot of people are, get to bed by 11.45. Just sit in it, get used to it, and then work your way back to 10. So that's the first thing. The second is blue blocker glasses, man. Like, they really are amazing because it's that white light that mimics the sun in our phones and our, in our computers. And Apple and Samsung know it. And so it keeps you on your phone. And these blue blockers, I mean, get them off of Amazon or wherever, just grab them. And then the third thing is to eat your last item two to three hours before you go to bed. It'll help you fall asleep faster and better, and it'll put you on a better rhythm for food in the morning and a better rhythm for energy in the morning.
2: Same question. Two or three things from a food standpoint that our listeners could take action on and and maybe try right away.
3: So I would say get your breakfast right. So if you're going to fast, that means get your coffee and water right. If you're going to eat breakfast, that means no processed carbs and ideally no carbs. Eat unless it's fruit. So eating your smoothie, eating chia seed pudding, eating eggs with greens. And I say that because the moment you eat sugar is the moment you want more sugar. So if you can avoid it, the cascade is a lot less. The second thing would be to increase the amount of real food intake in your diet. So I told you my gold standard is 85, 15 or 85% real food. If you're at 30, get to 35. If you're at 40, get to 45 and so on and so forth because that will give you the instant gratification of feeling good. That will give you the dopamine hit you need to keep moving forward.
2: And if you can remind our listeners what real food is.
3: So it's high quality protein, high quality fat, and vegetables. Grains and beans fit in there if, whole grains, if you're not trying to lose weight. And I guess if I, for the third one, I would like it not to be food, but water. I would say to drink some damn water. It's the easiest thing to make yourself feel better. And so many of us don't get enough in.
2: So as a student here listening to you, there's three things I took away from a detox standpoint. I want to see if I got them right. Uh, Number one, get your seven hours of sleep. It's good for the brain. It detoxes the brain. Uh, Number two, it would be the water that you just mentioned. And number three would be fasting. Those are all good actions that we can all take to help our body detox the poisons, if we want to call them that. Um, that we may be intaking, whether it be stress, emotional, and food-wise throughout the day.
3: Plus the environmental toxins that we take in by just waking up.
2: Is there anything else that you'd want to share that maybe we haven't touched on, knowing what our, the type of demographic our audience is?
3: The one thing I would add is, you know, we did talk about stress, but we didn't talk about some of the best practices there. And I would say, if you're stressed out, and you probably are, It's finding practices, even if it's just five minutes, to train your brain to calm down and to let go. So whether that's five minutes of deep breathing, five minutes of meditation, five minutes of gratitude, five minutes of listening to music, whatever it would be, just starting there. Because the studies on what stress can do and what mindfulness can do for your stress and your overall life are astounding. And yet, we don't talk a lot about it when it comes to health. But all of this advice, all of this food advice, it's great. But if you don't get your stress right, it won't take effect the way you want it to.
1: As we wrap up this episode, we want to pull a few things out shared by Erica and Nick to create tangible insights and takeaways for our listeners. Dan, we've talked to Nick Hardwick and Erica Ballard in this last conversation, and we've got some really good insight on health and wellness and how sleep and nutrition and our habits affect our overall performance. How does all of this tie back to sales?
2: There's a significant tie back to performance or high performance in sales. And we always use that metric right from our research that if you go out and see 10 prospects, how many of those prospects have already decided that they're going to make a change before you ever show up for that first meeting? And the answer is, as you know, Kylie, that we always get back is anywhere between one and three. So we tend to fall on that that two number. So two out of 10 prospects have decided before a sales professional ever shows up, those two out of 10 are going to make a change. So what happens to the other eight? The other eight is where preparation, health, balanced eating, getting into a high performance Circadian rhythm in your sleep really does matter. Because you know, you're going out there to meet with this prospect. And if your mindset is, how do I get them to like me? How do I get them to want to do business with me? How do I get them to see my value? You're going to end up having a sales conversation with all of them. They're not interested in a sales conversation because they don't even know if they want to make a change. So you have to make this shift in your thinking and your conversation. But in order to do that, you have to put yourself in the best performing position possible, which is getting good sleep, eating right during the week. You know, I've coached many, many people, very talented people, where they would work their butt off Monday through Friday, then come Friday afternoon, because they work so hard, they go home, hang out with the neighbors, have some drinks, not get a lot of sleep, Saturday would come around, they have kids' functions before they know it, they're having more drinks, Saturday night, dinner, more drinks, hanging out with some more neighbors or friends, Sunday comes, more kid functions, maybe even a Sunday afternoon cocktail. Monday isn't a performance day for them. Monday is actually a recovery day, though they didn't want to admit it. And sometimes Tuesday was a recovery day. So, that would really only give them maybe Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe summer Friday of true potential high-performance days. So, now you've gone from a five-day week to maybe a two-and-a-half-day week. And you don't think you have, but you have. You've limited yourself because alcohol and caffeine and poor eating habits and poor sleeping habits, they catch up with you. Oh, but you have to learn how to prep yourself physically and, and, and mentally, just like a pro athlete does, so that you can be cognitively sharp when you're, when you're in front of those prospects.
1: As you were talking, Dan, one thing that popped into my head was stretching. It doesn't seem like a very impactful practice to an athlete, but they would never go into a game without stretching first. And the risk of not stretching is hurting yourself and making the mistake after it's too late, Right. I think about like getting poor night's sleep before a big meeting the next day is the same thing as going into this game without stretching. I don't know if it's a relevant comparison, but that's what popped into my head as you were talking Yes, we
2: i there's three things that I try to focus on that are foundational before I have a conversation with a prospect. Number one, I try to focus on my mindset first, which is I might do some breathing exercises. Um, Like the Navy SEALs would do the, you know, four seconds in, four seconds out for four minutes. That could be one. I might just focus on my breath for 30 seconds, deep in, deep out. All of that is to change the patterns in my brain, which they have proven with focused breathing. You can change the patterns in your brain on terms of your listening and what you're listening for and how you filter information calms you down and every time we're calm we're much clearer the other thing I focus on is all my questions I'll write out 10 12 questions it doesn't mean I'm going to get to all of them but I'll write them out based on my research what I know about their business maybe why we're having a conversation and I'll select the top two or three that are very more much more 10,000 foot view to start with all right and then the next thing I'll focus on in my prep is what do I want to help that prospect assess and evaluate? I don't focus on what do I want to get out of the meeting because then I'll slip into sales mindset and I'll slip into probing questions, positioning questions, leading questions. I'll start to maybe shift too quickly to pitching and presenting. So I try to focus more as what do I want this other individual or group of individuals to get out of the conversation? What do I wanna help them evaluate, debate, or reflect on in their business? So those are the three things I really try to prep for anytime I go into a conversation.
1: What are some key takeaways that you want our listeners to walk away from this episode with?
2: Good question, Kylie. I am by no means an expert on any of this, but we've done a lot of studying and a lot of experimentation here at Lappa 180 about how to bring out our best over the past two or three years and so i'm going to give three recommendations that are based on experience not based on what a book tells us so the first thing i would suggest to our listeners is sleep try to get seven hours of sleep you'll notice improved cognitive thinking clarity and calmness throughout your prospect conversations and throughout the next day seven hours of sleep Two, I enjoy a glass of wine just like everybody else. Limit your alcohol though. I'm not trying to be preachy, all right? But limit your alcohol. You'll find that it helps you stay sharper throughout the week. So try to stay away from alcohol on the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, and the Thursday and including the Sunday. Give your body a chance to recover so that you can be at maximum performance level when it comes time for the week with your prospecting and your prospect conversations. And the third thing I would say is try to avoid heavy meals. If you're going to have them, try to eat them early. The eight, nine o'clock, heavy steak, mashed potatoes, big on the carbs with a glass of wine or two does weigh you down, we all know it. And so if you wanna get more out of your day, And more out of your week, try to eat a little earlier at night, maybe sometime around six to seven, seven thirty, be done with that meal. And try to limit the amount of carbs you eat throughout the day. And if you're gonna have carbs, have them during that nighttime meal, that dinner time meal. Now I'm giving these suggestions based on my experience and my team's experience. Again, yes, we've read about them. Yes, we've had coaches come in and give us consultations and coaching on it, but we've lived these three things and so we know that they work. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make it more real. As I thought through my answer, I I want people to understand that we actually do this shit. We We actually experiment with this kind of stuff.
1: Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin one 8 And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?